everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast with the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there. And we are now in session 12 of a 12 session um, panorama of the Bible. We're kind of walking through the chronology of the Bible. And so if you have made it all the way through all 12, congratulations. If you just stumbled upon this one, I encourage you to go back to um, to the very beginning and we'd love you to just catch all of this because if you're trying to make historical sense of the Bible, um, it's great to start at the very beginning. And so we covered in, in sections one through nine, we covered the Old Testament, starting with Genesis and the, the prologue with the creation all the way through. You get the calling of Abraham to, to Moses and Joshua conquering and the judges and then the kings, and there was one kingdom, and they split into kingdom, and they were taken into exile, then they were brought back, and then we make our way into the New Testament, which we started two episodes ago. We talked about the life of Christ, where I just seemingly, in an embarrassing way, tried to summarize the life of Jesus, which I mean, these guys that wrote the Gospels, I mean, they had man, pages and pages, and even still, like at the end of John, John's like, I guess you could fill up like all the books in the world with stories about Jesus. I just I had to pick a few. I mean, it's, it literally is what he says. At the end of at the end of the book of John, and I'm trying to summarize four of these things into just a few minutes. It was a little embarrassing, but it starts with Zachariah and Elizabeth, who are who, who God prophesies to them is that they're going to be the parents of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, kind of the prophet who's going to announce the coming of the Messiah. And then the angel appears to Joseph and Mary, telling him about the coming of Jesus. And we get the story with you know Jesus as a baby and with the shepherds, and then. You know, there's, you know, there people are trying to get him and he gets, he gets dedicated at the temple and then the wise men come and the king gets really mad when he hears that maybe another rival king has been born. So they go to hide in Egypt. We get the story of Jesus as a teenager, uh, uh, talking to teachers at the temple. And then we fast forward to him being about 30 years old when we get his ministry and he goes into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan, kind of wanders around in obscurity for a little bit. And then ultimately um, he he kind of grows in his popularity, and then opposition really kind of kicks in, which kind of takes him back down. Ultimately, end up in the Palm Sunday, him entering Jerusalem, and a week there in Jerusalem. Uh, we got the Last Supper, we got the arrest, the torture, ultimately the execution of Jesus, and then on the third day, the resurrection of Jesus. He appears a few times, and then ultimately gets to the Great Commission with Matthew twenty-eight. We also saw it again in Acts one where Jesus says, hey, I'm about to go for good, and here's what you need to be about, and he ascends to heaven. And then you transition from that to the church age and Acts, where we see the Great Commission being retold, and we basically get the outline for the story. First, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Then when the Holy Spirit comes, then you are going to be my witnesses everywhere, starting here in Jerusalem to the surrounding areas, ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so then the Pentecost day where the Holy Spirit comes happens in Acts chapter 2, in Jerusalem, there are chapters 2 through 7, in Samaria, 8 through 12, and then to the very ends of the earth from 13 to the end of 28. So we got Paul, we, 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 intro, we get introduced to Paul, we see several missionary journeys that he's on, and he writes 13 of the letters um, that are in, uh, that come from the same time period that are two different churches and different people that are helping lead these churches, and then we get um, we got three letters by John. We got a couple by Peter. We got one by a guy named Jude. We get one by named James. All these different letters that are written 
to different groups of people from apostles or kind of the right-hand men of certain apostles. And then we got one book in the Bible left, and it is the book of Revelation. Now, if you are a Southerner and you are listening to this podcast, I will never begrudge you of adding an S to a word that does not call for it. So in the Southern vernacular, right, if if the word ends in a con- consonant, and is free, feel free to add an extraneous S, as in, hey, are you going to Walmarts today? Walmarts plural. Even though you're technically only going to Walmart, it is only one Walmart, it is fine to say Walmarts. If it ends in a vowel, then you can add an extraneous um, an, an extraneous R. Um, like, uh, let's, let's pick one of these Bible towns, Laodicea, right? I, I grew up, where I grew up, Elder Raider. Yeah, you just can add an R. Anyways, but for accuracy purposes, I'm trying to, it took me a second to even remember what I was saying. Revelation singular, the book of Revelation. It is, it is not revel, it's not the book of Revelations. It is, it is one revelation that was given to John. And this is the book of that particular revelation. Now, if you have read the book of Revelation, you have probably been confused by it. And maybe you have read some of these um, descriptions of what it says and different ideas that are out there. When I was a kid, which I guess, you know, 40-ish years ago, there was a real, I mean, there was just a huge amount of interest in this. And there was, you you go to church events, whatever, and you would see these timelines and these graphics, and it was just very, very important. And that kind of, as I grew up in the faith as a teenager in college, there were still just kind of remnants of this, where it was just really important for you to understand kind of the different ways that people interpret the book of Revelation and kind of what it means. And you, you, you couldn't just not have a position. There were three main positions and you had to pick one of them. And one of those three positions was kind of the one you were supposed to pick. And of that one, there were three sub positions you had to take. And it was really important. And it was, it was a way of identifying yourself as a Christian. Like, well, what kind of Christian are you? And as, in addition to talking about your denomination, you had to talk about your and here's your fancy word for the day, your, your eschatology. And eschatology is the study of the end times. And so um, what you believe about the end times was an important identifier as far as your brand of theology and what kind of Christian you are. Now, in part, maybe because I live in my own little bubble now, or and because I don't really give it a whole lot of thought much anymore, um, it doesn't seem, to be, doesn't seem to be as much of that as there used to be. Um, but I do think it is certainly an interesting study of theology. It is certainly an interesting thing. We got a whole book dedicated to it. And so what I'm going to start with is I'm going to start with the basics of what it is that I believe. And what I believe, like what, what I was, what I will say to you is like, this, this is what I think. This is what I believe. And, um, no more, no less. And if you were here and joined us in last uh, episode, we were in Acts chapter one, and I said, hey, there's this verse we're going to come back to, right? Acts chapter one, verse 11. Angels are talking to the dis- disciples. Jesus has just gone into heaven, and they're staring at him, or at the space where they just last saw him, which is a totally reasonable thing to do. They get rebuked by this angel here, and like, like Jesus comes back to life, and he's talking to you, and then all of a sudden, he just kind of floats up into the sky. I mean, I'll be, I'll be staring there for a while, too. I mean, come on, man. Don't be, don't be so harsh. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So what he says here, Jesus goes up in a cloud. He's like, why are you watching? He's gone. 
He is going to come back. He's going to be, he, but he, and he's going to come back in the same way you've seen him, which I mean, I'm sorry, we'll get a little off here again. But that's actually a really good reason to keep looking up in the skies. And that's, that's not dissuading. He's coming back the same way. He's like, well, why would I stop looking? Anyways, they were distracted by the fact that he had called them to stay in Jerusalem and they knew the Holy Spirit was coming. They knew that it wasn't like later that day. But here's our point. Our point is it says that Jesus is going to come back in the same way that he left. He's going to come back as Jesus in the sky. And so every now and then you just, most of this comes from snarky people who are hostile to Christians. They'll say, well, Jesus could be, you know, if Jesus were born right now, this is where he'd be born. And Christians are so terrible. They wouldn't even know him. They wouldn't even recognize him. They probably would arrest him. You know, I mean, you know, he's like, you probably would put him on the no fly list. And people just like to say snarky things like that, you know, and I get the point, the point of it being, that maybe we would not recognize the character of Jesus if we saw it. Okay, fine. But you can't make it with you can't make that point with bad eschatology because Jesus is not going to be reborn again. It was very clearly said by an angel immediately after his ascension that he's going to come back in the same way. So if you were to ask me what I absolutely believe, I believe that Jesus is coming back and it will be in a very public demonstrative way. In fact, there are some pretty pretty good passages where Jesus talks and in the book of Revelation as well, that it's actually going to be a worldwide event. And in an era before there was the technology that we have, he's like, you wonder how that's going to work. Is it just going to be like, it's going to be like, you know, you can, I guess you can kind of see the moon from every place, but it's like, you know, like it's going to be dark in one spot and light on another how can how can it be everybody sees it all at once? I mean, miracles are miracles, but now we're starting to feel like the technology is catching up with the miracle, that the coming back of Jesus could actually be something that is witnessed and seen by all of the world at exactly the same time. We have events like that right now that are witnessed and seen and viewed by people all over the world at the same time. And it feels like to me that the technology is building towards that. Anyways, that's what I believe. I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe it's going to be a very public way. And when he comes back, it's over. That's it. That's what I believe. And that does not fit into any of these three categories that we're about to talk about because these three categories, all three would all agree with that. And so I guess I, what I'm saying is I believe in the thing that binds all three of these things together. Uh, but I'm a little, for lack of a better word, I'm a little agnostic about the rest. I'm like, I'm, I'm not really sure. And I'm not really sure we can know. And, and again, that's I me mean, as a guy who, and I got hot takes on everything and I got opinions about everything. And I, and this is not a situation where it's like, well, I don't want to be controversial. So I'm going to keep my hot take to myself. Here's, here's, here's where it comes from. Here's, here's where my intentional ambiguity comes from. The Pharisees, again, were the religious leaders that were opposed to Jesus. The elite of them had the entire Old Testament memorized. And so let's just let that sink in for a second. They had the entire Old Testament memorized they knew every verse, every chapter, every book of anything that is written in the Old Testament. They knew their scripture better than we know our scripture. Promise you. And when Jesus came back, they missed it. There was something, and it wasn't they missed it a little bit. There was a, an important part about what the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah was going to be. There were important parts of that that they just missed. They just missed it because their own... Um, uh, perceptions, their own biases kind of blocked it. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't see it. 
And I just, I just think if you read the book of Revelation, it's weird. It's just weird. It's very, it's very metaphorical. Now I'm a literalist when it comes to the Bible, but to take a metaphor in a literal way means something very different than taking a story in a literal way. Take a story in a literal way, but say, hey, it means it happened. You take a command in a literal way, and it means that command applies. You take a metaphor in a literal way, and it's like, well, the point that it's this metaphor is trying to make, this analogy that it's trying to make, this imagery that it represents, that's real. What is it? I just, I, mm, I just don't know that we can have the same sort of confidence about what we understand in the book of Revelation that we have, like say, John chapter eight, John chapter 10, John chapter 14, John chapter one, about the deity of Christ. Or what we can learn kind of putting a bunch of passages together about the nature of God and the Trinity. Or what we learn from what Jesus says to Nicodemus and what Paul says in Romans chapter five about what Jesus dying on the cross means for you and what salvation is. I mean, there's some things that I mean, just some very clear teaching that form the very foundational pieces of theology. I just don't think that you can go to that same level in the book of Revelation. And my seminary profs, profs would be mad at me. The guy, some of the people who discipled me in college might be mad at me. Um, but no one will say that I'm some sort of weak sauce person that doesn't have thoughts. I just, in fact, if anything, this is, I guess this is my hot theological take. But I think there is just a little too much certainty that some people have in these worldviews. Now, however, I will now put you, th- we will now walk our way through the three primary timelines and ways that they interpret and understand this. And I will, because I don't want you to think that I'm cowardly, I will give you the one that I am most likely to, if one of these is true, which one I'm, which one I'm in for. So the three categories are this, amillennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial. Maybe you've heard these words before. Maybe I say the word millennial and it doesn't even mean anything with theology right now. You're thinking about a group of people and a generation. Um, but it's helpful. Why are they called millennials? Oh, they were born around the, the, the switch to the new thousand year, right? right? Okay, so that's what millennial means. Millennial is talking about a thousand year period. And so that's where these theological terms come from. Amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial. Now, millennial, there, there is a phrase that is very often used in the prophetic literature talking about a thousand-year kingdom, a thousand-year reign of Jesus. And so what do you do with that? What do you do with a thousand-year kingdom? What, what is he talking about? Okay. Is he talking about a very literal kingdom where Jesus is going to come down here and establish himself as the king, and he's going to rule as the king literally on the earth for a thousand years? Is it a metaphorical kingdom, or is it, he's not really even talking about kingdom per se. I mean, he's just, that's just a fancy way of describing the age of the church, okay? So, Amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial. Now, now we're going to learn about our prefixes, which you probably know. Amillennial, as in atheist, theist being someone who believes in God. A, I don't believe in God. An amillennialist is someone who does not really believe that there is a thousand-year kingdom at all. So an amillennial, there is no literal future earthly kingdom of Jesus on the earth. There is a spiritual kingdom. He came, he, he died on the cross. The church is here. But there's nothing like like a tangible, real kingdom 
where Jesus is going to reign. So these are the amillennialists. They don't really believe that. Now, a post-millennial is someone who believes, and so now it's like, when does Jesus come back? Before or after the kingdom? A post-millennialist believes that Jesus is going to come back post the millennial kingdom. So there's going to be a thousand-year kingdom, and then post, after that, Jesus is going to come back. And then a premillennialist is Jesus is going to come back, and that is going to set up the establishment of the kingdom. Now, as we're talking our way through these, I'm just going to start with postmillennialists because this is the easiest, best one to just eliminate and get off the table completely. Because the theology of this is this, that the world is going to get progressively better and better and better and better. And things are going to be more people, there's going to be more and more people who believe in Jesus. The world is going to become more and more like Jesus. The world is going to become increasingly more and more Christian to the point to where because of our evangelistic efforts, we have brought Jesus to this world and established that kingdom. So we, we kind of usher in a golden age by our preaching of the gospel. And then when things have gotten to that kind of elite level, Jesus is going to come back. Now, I understand who I am. I understand the way that I roll. And I understand that I've got just a little bit of cynic in me, okay? But I don't think that you have to be cynical to say, would you say that the world is getting better and better all the time? Would you say that the world is getting more Christian all the time? I don't think anyone truly believes that. And so if we're going to go historically, historically, this group of people had their heyday in the early 1900s. Now, for those of you who have any idea about world history, if I were to say, hey, man, they had their heyday in, say, 1908, 1909, and then something happened over the next 10 years that kind of wiped them out, right? World War I, or was the, for them, it was, it was the, the war to end all wars, the Great War. I mean, they didn't know it was World War I, they didn't know the second one was coming. But I'm telling you, if there's anything that is going to wipe out the optimism of a world that is getting progressively better. It's a world war, but it didn't quite do them all in because maybe that's like, that's the final cataclysmic event that is going to kind of then set off the golden age. So we lose quite a few uh, post-millennialists after World War One, But then before you can even get your theology back straight again to kind of incorporate World War One. Hitler comes around and World War II comes around. And I'm telling you, what's left really of the post-millennialists are gone. It is hard to have an optimistic worldview after the, the, the two of those world wars back to back. Now, there is still a bit of this out there, but you really don't hear it as much in Christian, um, Christian theology anymore. Um, because Christian theology has certainly become increasingly, certainly in America, increasingly more negative about the prospects of establishing a Christian world. In fact, we have, we have taken on a posture of that the world is very hostile to us, uh, which is in some ways off-putting, but is in some ways is exactly what Jesus said from the very beginning. If you are truly understand and believe and live out the gospel, the world is actually going to be opposed to that. But I, and so I, I, which again is kind of a big, it's kind of a big knock against post millennial when Jesus says, The world hated me, they're gonna hate you too, that somehow we're gonna get to the way the world doesn't hate, anyways. But we still see just kind of glimpses of post millennialism. And so what it comes from is 
this is going to sound a little bit like Michael Scott quoting Wayne Gretzky saying, you miss all the shots you don't take. But there's a, there's a phrase that Obama used a lot when he was president, and you still will hear more liberal politicians use it, that the arc of history is long and it bends towards justice. So the idea that the world is getting progressively more and more just. And there's some uncertainty about this, but pretty sure that he got that from Martin Luther, who pretty much got that from Gandhi. And so it's not necessarily a bit of Christian theology, but that's the idea. The idea of it is that if you look at the, if you look at the arc of human history from a wide enough angle, you're going to see it bending towards goodness. But even still, even in your non-Christian worldviews, your more secular, liberal, political worldviews, even though they will say that about certain things, there are certainly a lot of climate change fears that would make us think that we are not making this world better. So even in that, I just don't know people who are just really kind of riding a wave of the world is getting progressively better, be they Christians or not. So let's just take post-millennial um, off the list. And so now we've got between amillennial and premillennial. And amillennial, again, is just like, man, it's just all metaphor. All the stuff about kingdom, it's all metaphorical. It's talking about the church, talking about these types of connections. And so that at a point of Jesus's own choosing, he is going to come back. Now, the strengths there are, it does seem from the way that Jesus talks about it and the way that Paul talks about it being like a thief in the night, that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a fairly random event as opposed to one that is kind of has things that are clearly pointing towards it. So that's a point in the amillennialist favor. The premillennialist then would say, well, we're talking about two different comings of Jesus, that Jesus is actually going to do this twice. And this is where we get the rapture. I don't know if you're familiar with the rapture, but within premillennialists, you've got this structure. We've got the church age. Then there's going to be um, a seven-year tribulation where bad things are going to happen. At the end of that tribulation, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to establish a thousand-year kingdom. And at the end of that thousand years, there's going to be Armageddon and the world ends. Again, amillennialists is Jesus comes back, Armageddon, fight, world ends, everybody, everybody to their eternal destiny. Okay. So it's just, it's real simple. Amillennialists, at a random point of Jesus's choosing, he comes back. Um, there is a battle, a spiritual and physical battle that ends the world. And then everybody goes to their eternal destination. And the premillennialists, we've got a seven year tribulation where then Jesus comes, establishes a literal thousand year reign. At the end of that thousand year reign, um, there is a spiritual and physical battle called Armageddon brings the world to an end, everybody to their eternal destinations, okay? And so, in that seven-year reign, there is a belief by some that there's going to be what's called a rapture, where Jesus comes back, but not all the way back, just kind of meets you halfway in the sky. And he's going to call up all the Christians, and then the tribulation's going to happen. There's a belief then that this tribulation, that there's some evidence that says that God would not let his people go through something like that, and so the rapture comes into that. And those people then are premillennialists, pre-tribulation. Jesus comes back a little bit before the tribulation. And after the tribulation comes back for good, then you got the establishment of the thousand-year kingdom. A mid-tribulation says there's going to be three and a half years of this, but before it gets really bad, 
Jesus comes, takes the Christians three and a half more years, comes back for good, establishes the kingdom. The post-tribulation people say there isn't a rapture at all. There's going to be seven years of tribulation, and Jesus comes back once and only once, establishes the thousand-year kingdom, and at the end of that thousand-year kingdom, there's Armageddon, and everybody goes to their eternal destination, right? Now, my favorite way to teach this is with timelines drawn on a whiteboard, And I can only imagine the level of confusion or whatever that you might have right now. But I hope that you have some timeline in your mind. A post-millennialist being everything's going to get better. Jesus comes back. There's really not a need for Armageddon per se. Non-millennialist is things aren't necessarily getting better, but Jesus is eventually going to come back. It comes back all at once. There's no literal kingdom. Armageddon happens. Everybody to their places. Pre-millennialist, there's a time of tribulation. Jesus comes back. There's a thousand-year kingdom, a literal that he reigns, and then Armageddon happens at the end of that. And then you may also then believe in the rapture where Jesus comes back partially to get his people, either before the tribulation, the bad seven years, in the middle of the bad seven years, or there is no rapture and Jesus only comes once at the end of the bad seven years. And so, again, so this is how people will align themselves. I'm a post-millennialist. I'm an amillennialist. I'm a pre-trib, pre-millennial. I'm a mid-trib, pre-millennial. I'm a post-trib pre-millennial. And these, these are the ways you would establish yourself. And so I just encourage you, if you would like, you can read the book of Revelation. You can find any number of books on this topic and you can try to f- figure it out for yourself. I mean, it's a very detailed account of what is going to happen that, that this revelation is given to John. Like I said, it is, it is a lot of allegory, a lot of, a lot of metaphors, and I don't think we can quite put our mind around it as literally as we think that we can. We, we can understand it quite as fully as the people who, again, maybe you send the left behind books or the left behind movies, like the people that think that they can just pinpoint the chronology by the month of like what's going to happen during those seven years and what's going to happen. And it's really cool. And if they're right, they have figured it, they have figured it out. And it's really, really, it's really interesting to study and understand that if that's something that interests you. But to me, an obsessive focus on this is a little bit, and kind of a little throwback here, it's a little bit like the guy staring in the sky. I'm staring in the sky trying to figure out when and how he's going to come back when when really he's kind of given us a mission. I don't have to spend a whole lot of time connecting the dots on tribulations and millennial kingdoms. I don't have to be staring at the sky at that. He's going to come, and when he comes, I'm going to notice it. And and for those of people who have put their faith and trust in Christ— It is only going to be a good thing for them that Jesus has come back. And so that's where I live. And I just kind of leave this more to the people who are more interested in this theology. If you forced me down and I had to pick one, I'm going to go amillennialist. I just, I just, I just think that these are all metaphorical descriptions of a way the world is going to just continually be. I think, I think the tribulation is an, an extended view of just kind of how the world is crumbling and that ultimately the kingdom is something that God is establishing with us forever, both spiritually in our hearts and then ultimately with him in heaven. And it's not a literal thing that we are going to be doing on the earth. But I can't be wrong about that because I don't really, I, like, I don't know. Like if you say, what do you, what do you really think, Charlie? And the really answer is I don't know. But if you had to pick, that's the one I pick. Anyways, um, been really controversial. Uh, we'd be 25-year-old Charlie, the pre-trib, pre, pre-millennial Charlie would be really mad and just think what has happened to this old man and his weak faith. But anyways, I can, I can fight with him another time. 
Um, if you have any questions or you want some more, interest, if you have more interest in this, please let me know. I guess we could talk some more about it and we can put some good notes next time. We could talk about it more in depth. We could talk and um, put some things together and maybe put some things in the notes where you can kind of see some of these timelines. Let me know if you're interested. Um, Charlie at thegrovechurch.org. And thanks again for just kind of being a part with us for this entire uh, series, Panorama of the Bible. Thanks so much to Fellowship Northwest Arkansas and just their generosity with their material. It's just out there. You can find it. Just go to their website. You go Panorama of the Bible, Fellowship Northwest Arkansas. You'll find all of their material right there. It is really good and really helpful. And you can you can find this one there too. If you're if you're interested in kind of learning more about the the different theories of the end times, it's all right there. And so I encourage you to check that out. So again, thanks to them. Thanks to all of you for being here with us. And for those who are, we would love to meet you. We'd love to see you on a Sunday. You can find out all about us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. You can see you on a Sunday morning, get all the details there. If you're not local, you can still connect with us at the same spot. Let us know you've been watching and you can join us online. We're always streaming one of our services and you get the details there um, on our webpage. And again, this is Charlie Lofton, lead pastor there. Thanks for joining us.